Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. On today's show, I'm joined by Fox Sports' lead producer for its U.S. soccer and MLS broadcasts, Shaw Brown, who might be the most interesting soccer person in America whom you've never heard of. This is a great listen for anyone interested in getting into the soccer media business here. Brown is a total pro, but he did tell me about the one exception he makes for getting a player to sign an autograph. About four or five years ago, actually, oh my God, it's almost it's eight years ago now, <laughs> Adidas put out the ball, the World Cup ball, from every World Cup from 1970 on. And one of the few times that my wife was like, hey, this is really cool. Like, you've got all these balls. What do you want to do with it? And I thought to myself, what would be awesome is if I could get a player from the winning team, just one, to sign each ball, it would be awesome. All that and more coming up. Our guest this week is one of the most interesting people in U.S. soccer that you have probably never heard of. Truth be told, Shaw Brown would probably prefer it that way. But I have finally persuaded him to come on the show. Shaw is currently Fox Sports' lead producer for its MLS and U.S. soccer broadcasts. Full disclosure, I often work with Shaw with Fox. And he has a long history covering the sport for NBC Sports and ESPN, going all the way back to the 1990s. He'll be in Russia this summer with Fox's top broadcast team. Shaw, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Grant. Um, so much to talk about here, but I think you have a very fascinating soccer history that's one of these very cool U.S. soccer stories. Uh, how did you get into this business, and when did you get into this business? <laughs> um, I'm privileged to have a father who was a massive soccer fan. Um, I spent the uh, first part of my life in England, so a massive Ipswich Town fan. My dad used to take me and my brother's all the time to matches. Um, my dad worked for Ford Motor Company in the PR division. Mm-hmm. And uh, my first few years at the University of Michigan, I knew I wanted to work in sports. Um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I definitely wanted to do something in sports. Um, and my dad uh, introduced me to a reporter for WDIV, which is the Detroit NBC station. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a long chat with her, and she uh, got me a chance to meet Bernie Smilovitz. Um, and I was able to intern in 1992 uh, at WDIV mm-hmm. um, in the sports uh, broadcasting, like just the, the you know the the regular news division, but the sports side of it. Okay. And I, I was hooked. I mean, I was totally hooked. The year after uh, the U.S. Uh, Cup came to Detroit. Um, I worked for WXYZ, the ABC, as an intern that year, but I also mm-hmm. got a chance to work on, uh, at the Silverdome um, on the U.S. Cup, but it was England-Germany at that game, um, and Jim Trecker put me in the booth with J.P. Della Camera as the stats guy, because I was like the only one who knew the sport really well, um, <laughs> and we kind of laugh about it now, but it was J.P. and Ty Keogh, and I still get to work with JP. Um, nice. And uh, yeah, and honestly, like, I mean, I'm sitting in the Silverdome watching England, Germany, a terrible England team at the time. Um, but I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm, I'm like, this is, there's nothing better in the whole world than this for someone like me. <laughs> um, I remember then uh, pitching myself to ABC for the World Cup, like in New York. Um, and I came out to, for an interview, and it was President's Weekend. And my dad came out with me, 
and uh, the guy forgot that I was coming out, and it was a, it was President's Monday, and the security guy took pity on me because I'd flown <laughs> out to New York for the weekend, and he called him at home, and uh, I was flying home out of LaGuardia that night, and he said, "Well, can you meet me in Long Island?" And my dad's like, "Let's go," huh. and I met him, uh, and I walked out. My dad said, "You realize you've got the internship?" Like he feels so bad, like he's messed up so badly that. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, sure enough, I got the chance to come to New York that summer and uh, I worked on the World Cup in 94 as an intern. And again, uh, one of the few people that knew the sport um, that first weekend, uh, we were about to put up a graphic in the studio show of uh, of the leading scorers and they had Jurgen Klinsmann. It might have been, sorry, the second weekend, I should say. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was wrong because Oleg Solenko had scored four goals the night before. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there as a 20-year-old deciding whether I open my mouth or not. Um, and you know this, Grant. I'm not exactly short on opinions or uh, scared of much. And uh, I said something. And uh, a guy named Tim Weinkoff, who's actually looked out for me many, many years after that, uh, said, are you sure? And I said, yeah. And he's like, okay. And he went with it. And um, thank goodness I was right. And Jim McKay from then on wanted me next to him uh, doing – like all the all the studio shows, and uh, wow. they they came to me after the semis and said, "Hey, we're bringing you to the World Cup final in L.A." And I was like, "Wait, what? Like, you're gonna pay me this?" And uh, how old yeah, were you at this was, time? Was that how old I were you? Twenty. Holy 20. cow! So I was very young. <laughs> yeah. So um, and after the World Cup ended, I kept in touch with him, Mitch Green, who, if you've worked in the soccer world, know him well. Reached out to me before I graduated and said, "Hey, we're doing the U.S. Cup again." Uh, we'd love to have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I came out. I was getting paid now to do soccer stuff. Um, but I was, you know, at that stage, there wasn't a lot of soccer stuff. So I was working on lots of sports. Mm-hmm. I ended up working for a company called API that was just doing U.S. national team games. Um, I got a chance to do the first season with MLS through API. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I at that stage of my career was doing – I did bull riding. I did college football. I've done some hockey. I've done – uh, you know, I, I, I ran, ran the game and I worked on the World Series in the baseball network the one year I think that was around. Um, you know, it's tough when you're trying to break in, especially when you're breaking in trying to do a sport that really nobody cares about. Um, what, was it, like, what was your um, goal, I guess, at that point in time? I honestly, I wanted to produce soccer. Uh, I, I think after the 96 MLS season, I think that's when I realized that, look, if I can make a living doing soccer stuff. I want to, I, I wanted to stay in soccer. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I've loved the sport since, I don't know. I mean, I just, I always have, my dad did such a good job of nurturing it without pushing it. Mm-hmm. Um, that like, it just, you know, and I, I just, I think as a guy who likes sports, the ability to remember things, uh, sporting things, especially for me, soccer. And it just, yeah, it just grew and grew. And as the, as the sport started to grow. I got lucky. I got some amazing opportunities, right? Uh, Bill Graff at ESPN um, was one of the first people to take a chance. Steve Mayer, who was at IMG at the time, he's now at NHL, uh, was great to me. Um, Amy Rosenfeld was ridiculous to me. Um, and then as I moved along in my career, Pierre Moussa, Chris Alexopoulos, like I've just, I've been really lucky that uh, people not only given me a chance, but really have trusted me uh, in, in my roles, whatever they may be. Um, and you know, I mean, 94 was the first world cup I, I worked on and was at, I was at the 98 world cup working on a show called worldwide soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which was awesome back in the day. We had a weekly show, um, and that was awesome. Um, and uh, the O2 World Cup, I worked for FIFA um, in Japan, um, like working on the like news gathering, mm-hmm. uh, which was cool. It was very different. Um, and then '06, I was in Germany, uh, running the tape room um, for ESPN. Mm-hmm. And 2010, I got to do the same thing, working in the tape room. And yeah, I mean, I missed, I didn't go to the last one, but I worked on it. I helped uh, ESPN do some stuff with Balotelli and Buffon. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've had a chance to work on uh, every Women's World Cup from 99 on. I've done a couple of Euros. I've done Copa America now after the last one. Um, I've done a couple of Gold Cups. So other than African Nations Cup and Asian uh, Nations Cup, uh, I've pretty much done everything you can, which is awesome. And I got to go to most of them, which is pretty awesome, too. It's a pretty incredible story. And I am always struck by how many of the top figures in the sport of soccer, not just in the U.S., but around the world, like, they know you. I mean, how how has that developed over the years where you've been able to build these relationships? And have any particular ones stood out to you? So I would say uh, a lot of it's been lucky, right? So I was kind of on the edge of soccer. Mm -hmm. I was at the start of it. Um, So like some of it was just more like, well, he knows somebody, so give him a chance, right? Mm -hmm. Let him do it. Maybe we can help us. Like in 02 and 06 World Cups, um, a lot of it was uh, from ESPN, like giving me a lot of – uh, room even 2010 like giving me a lot of room to go help them with stories yeah so like someone like mark young who i know you know who, who's a researcher on fox but like um him and i would get on a weekly phone call with espn talking features mm-hmm. and we would be pitching show i pitching feature ideas and i remember having a conversation one time about the 2010 world cup about they were talking about invictus and how they're going to do a piece about this and i remember having a long conversation that day saying Look, as a soccer fan, I appreciate the story, but shouldn't we look at what happened the first tournament that South Africa played after they came back into the fold of being able to play games? And that team had a, you know, a white captain, mm-hmm. and the best player was black. And like it became this, like this was a split team. It wasn't just there was only one player coming in from uh, being allowed to play again. This this team was completely split down the middle, and they figured out a way to coexist, and they won. They, I mean, they. they I remember the story of uh, Nelson Mandela calling the president of Cameroon, begging them to play some friendlies mm-hmm. when they were finally allowed to play games with them because nobody wanted to go play with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we decided to do the story, and it just, you know, I mean. You know what this is like, Grant. The work you have to put in sometimes to get something. Right. Finding Neil Tovey, who was the captain. I mean, some guys, you know, Lucas Radaby was like, of course I'll talk about this. Yeah. And when, as the piece started to come together, you think, think to yourself, oh, my God, like this is an incredible story. Mm-hmm. And I remember the ESPN people thinking, saying to us, like, okay, this is a better story for us than the Victus. Like this ends up being the right thing. So, well, in um, nine, yeah, 96 ended up being the year they won Africa Cup of Nations right. in South Africa. And, and it was a soccer story as opposed to Invictus. Right. And, and to their credit, they, they, you know, I mean, they're able to bounce back. But we did, a, we did this incredible piece on racism in football with Henri who sat with us at Arsenal. We told, you know, the thing for me, and this is a big thing for me, is 
everything's up front. I, I try never to pull a surprise on them. So when we mm-hmm. pitched to Arsenal that we wanted to come do this piece, I was flat out honest saying, it, we're going to sit the whole time and we're going to ask him about what was said by Luis Aragones and racism in football in general. And because I, I didn't want them to sit down and him saying, wait, wait, what are we talking about? Like, right. I don't like that. I don't like to pull surprises. Um, and I think that's why, in general, uh, your comment, people who know me, uh, I've at the very least trust me that whether they like me or not, because they know that I'm not here to pull any surprises. I'm going to tell them up front the plan. Um, and um, he sat with us for 30 minutes. And I remember the Arsenal press officer, she came in to say, okay. And he's like, I'm good. Don't worry. Like, we're mm-hmm. good. I, I will end this when I want to. Like, because he was comfortable with what we were doing. Um, right. So, you know, I mean, I, I go out of my way to work in advance when I can. So if I know I want to do a piece on, um, I want, we want to do this racism piece, right? We knew this in like September of, of, uh, 09 before the 2010 world cup. Mm-hmm. So I started working right then for it, trying to get stuff set up for February. Like uh, I never try to rush if I can help it. Um, I think that helps a lot with this stuff. And, and, you know, I mean, just, from my point of view, just always been honest with them about, here's the plan. Uh, I'd like to do this if possible. And, and sometimes I'll get pushed back and say, look, it's not going to happen. Uh, I've found some agents to be great. And I, it's, you know what's really helped is we're American television. And mm-hmm. a lot of players and agents want their players to be on American television, especially if they looked at well. Well, one thing uh, I was going to ask you about was my experience over the years is that uh, the biggest stars – in world soccer, uh, whether it's players, managers, even European clubs, they all want to be bigger in the U.S. And that helps U.S. media if you're going about it the right way to get the access. And then because we tend to have pretty high standards for the journalism that we do, we can do some really high-level access-driven journalism as a result. Is that what you've found? Yeah, I mean, look, I think because we don't care the day-to-day, you weren't good on the weekend story, right? right? Like what happened last weekend? How could you lose 3 nothing? That Yeah, I have found that. I found that um, AC Milan, we, we went to AC Milan and uh, we were there for two days and we talked to seven players. <laughs> like they, they, Cafu sat down and they said to us, hey, we don't have this uh, interview room we wanted to give you because uh, Sky is doing something. Sky Tali is doing something. But I hope this room will be okay. And they take us into this room. It's got a fireplace in it and a piano. And it's this massive room. And my 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 camera guy looks at me like, I don't know what the other room they were going to give us. But don't just act like it's okay just barely. But trust me, this room is incredible. Right? And like I found we had this – I had this moment with Kaká in um, Chicago when the U.S. played Brazil. And he sat down. He said – in English, he said, can we do this in, in Spanish or Portuguese? And I said to him, look, can we start in English? Mm-hmm. And if it's not going okay, we'll stop the tape and we'll switch. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, that seems fair. And to be fair to Kaká, he's this awesome guy, right? right. Like he, he's just one of those people that I think you'd uh, everyone would want as a friend if possible. And 25 minutes later, he's, we stopped and he's like, wait, I just did the whole thing in English. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, okay. And he got up and he walked out like it's no big deal. So, I mean, yeah, I, I do think what you said is really fair. I think because 
most of the time when we're putting in requests, and it's different for you because you're doing like weekly stuff, but I'm doing big events. Right. When I'm putting in a request for something, like I found that we are able to get farther along. I've had times where we're giving you 15 minutes only with this person. Mm-hmm. Well, then I don't think I want to come out for 15 minutes. That's a lot. Well, how long would be worth it to you? So that like they mm-hmm. want, I mean, the big clubs, it, it depends on the big club too, right? Like Barcelona, mm-hmm. they're in. Like, how can they help you? If, as long as you plan, again, not, nothing surprising on them, but like they, they're really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that as Manchester City has gotten um, better, and, and this was before they had a team in the United States, but like as they got better as a team, they wanted more stuff happening in the United States. So yep. they would, they would help you get stuff done. Um, and look, Arsenal has always been really good uh, since I've been doing this stuff. Chelsea's always been really good. Mm-hmm. Um, like Mourinho, the first time he came over here, is a great story. Tommy Smith was going to interview with him, and I was producing it. And he walks in, he's late, and he's like, he comes in, he hangs up his phone, he says, please, everyone's phone's off, okay? Well, I, I want to do this, I want to do this. I know I'm doing this in two languages because we also had, I think, Jaime Moda doing it in Spanish, which mm-hmm. is, you know, Mourinho can do it in five languages if he wanted to. Right. It's amazing. And uh, first question asked by Tommy, as he starts answering, he, his phone rings and he looks at us, oh, I have to take this, and he walked out. <laughs> Wait, what just happened? He just told all of us to switch off our phones. But, it, I mean, so... Yeah, I, it, and it's so funny. And he came back in and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. But like, you know, the next time we interviewed him, Frank LaBeouf was doing it. it came and he started speaking French with him. Wow. And it's just like he's like, so it depends on the club. It depends on how we do stuff. Like I'm, I'm I, I always, and I, I know you follow this rule, but I, I just, uh, everything's up on the up and up. Like I, I just right. don't want to put anyone in a position where they're uncomfortable. And, and it, even when I'm doing MLS, like I don't want to do that to a player. I always go to the PR guy um, or, or, or woman if, if that's the, that's the right way to do it. Um, right. And and look, we're lucky in a lot of ways too because our players are so good about stuff that right. that uh, men's and women's teams, MLS teams, you know, even the players that aren't used to doing it, like the PR guys, are so good about helping them along and mm-hmm. and and helping us understand what the what 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 is good and i've even had a player from an mls team here reach out to a player i'm trying to get in touch with in europe to do stuff huh. like i just i mean i think what we do is all about relationships right so you know i mean it, it's so important that if i can help somebody and, and i believe this regardless but if i can you know if if you called or anyone else called whether it's with ESPN or like we sh- we're a fraternity in many ways. Like we, I, I always try to help somebody, whether it's an announcer, whether it's um, a producer, whether it's a writer. But if I can put someone in touch with someone that I know to help them do a story or do or learn something, then we sh- I, I just feel like I should do that. Like I just and I, and I think that's probably helped me long term, too, and trying to get stuff done. Well, before we dive into what you do in an MLS or U.S. soccer broadcast as a producer for Fox Sports. I do want to ask you about one story because I know you're like me. Um, we're on the up and up. And one of the things you don't do as a journalist in interviews typically is ask for an autograph. But you do have one special exception. <laughs> and I fully respect this and endorse this. And I want you to tell the story about what your exception is. Yeah, so... Um... 
again, being a soccer dork who my wife affectionately calls me and, um, and we've discussed this before. I mean, our spouses are the best people in the whole world because they let us do these ridiculous things. And my wife, Jennifer is amazing, right? She just is able to help me go do these awesome jaunts around the world to do stuff. And, uh, about four or five years ago, actually, Oh my God, it's almost, it's eight years ago. Now Adidas <laughs> put out the ball, the world cup ball, from every World Cup from 1970 on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, I, I, one of the few times that my wife was like, hey, this is really cool. Like, you've got all these balls. What do you want to do with it? Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, what would be awesome is if I could get a player from the winning team, just one, to mm-hmm. sign each, each ball. It would be awesome, right? Like, I think it would be a really cool thing to have long term in my life. And, um, and, you know, the first one was easy because Mario Campos was, worked at ESPN and I knew all the ESPN guys and it's different because he's a talent there. And so it was an easy thing to do. He was the man um, of the 1978 World Cup. Yeah, won by he won the, he, he, yeah, I mean, he scored two goals in the final. Um, and it's, it's not an obsession. Like every time I go someplace to a big tournament, I bring a bunch of the soccer balls with me to get <laughs> autographs. But like over the years, I've gotten Jürgen Klinsmann to sign the 98 ball. My hope is always to get one of the best players from each of those teams to sign it. Like Bastian Schweinsteiger has now signed the 2010, uh, the 2014 ball for, from Germany. Um, I was lucky enough that Barcelona, without me even having to go, I just sent the ball and they gave me, uh, they put Iniesta and Xavi signed the ball for me, which was pretty awesome. On oh, the 2010 ball, um, nice. Yeah, and then you were with me one time when Ronaldo signed it. And uh, it's funny, it's, the, oh, it's one of the, it actually is the only time I was actually with the ball when someone signed it. <laughs> and he said to me, wow, this was a great moment for me. This is so cool. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. I didn't expect that. Um, out of him so uh it's something i'd love to do i mean some of them you know i mean maradona's a pie in the sky right um i, I don't know if that'll ever happen but like uh you know i mean Beckenbauer and pelé uh yeah i mean look i've I, i'm i will be 44 on the 25th of january and like it's been such a big part of my life and I, as things go on i still these soccer getting a soccer ball signed by a player like that to me is still one of the cool things. It's pretty cool. Um, now you went from ESPN. You were there for many years. Uh, you went to NBC and then, uh, not too long thereafter, uh, went to Fox sports. How did that go as part of your sort of career development? Yeah. I mean, I was always a freelancer with ESPN. I never was a full-time employee, but they gave me so many opportunities to work on soccer, lots of sports, to be honest with you. But by the end of it, I was just doing soccer games um, and doing features and stuff like that. Um, when uh, NBC took over for Fox Sports for MLS, um, I, like I'm sure many, many, many people, threw in the resume to NBC in hopes to get a chance to produce and direct. Um, and uh, I met with Pierre Moussa and Sam Flood, uh, mm-hmm. and they – took a liking to me um, and they gave me a chance to be their full-time producer, which was because, you know, Chris Alexopoulos was ESPN's full-time producer, who's still one of my dearest friends in the business. And I was never, you know, I mean, there's only a few network jobs in soccer in this country. Mm -hmm. So um, I got a chance with NBC and when they got the Premier League rights, um, became a full-time employee for them for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, just like ESPN, a great company to work for uh, so much, 
um, it's so funny to see how everyone does things differently and uh, how proud they are of how they do it, and they should be. I mean, soccer in this country is still growing, but like the people who work in soccer in this country are very proud of their product, and they should be. Um, and then uh, when they lost the rights to MLS, uh, Fox came along, and Fox obviously had picked up the World Cups, and I love that's as I've already stated to you, a big deal to me yeah. is working on World Cups and Women's World Cups. And it just uh, came like a natural fit. So like um, I've had the, the luck of being able to work for all of those networks on soccer. I've even done some stuff for CBS, but not soccer related. Uh-huh. Um, so I've actually worked for all the networks. And, you know, I mean, again, uh, you'll hear this a lot for me. Uh, I, I get paid to watch soccer games. <laughs> for me, it's just it's the best dream of all. So Now, I wanted to get in some detail here on uh- – when you're producing a broadcast for an MLS game for Fox or a U.S. soccer game, you are a hardcore soccer guy. And I'm wondering, what are the most important things to you in making a good broadcast? So when I was being interviewed by NBC, they asked me to tell them something that they didn't probably didn't know about soccer. Um, and I said to them, just don't mess with the game. Do as much pre-match as you want. Do much at halftime, post-match as you want. But leave the game alone. If you can help it, leave it alone. Make sure the coverage is great. Don't miss anything. But like most soccer fans, and this is how I feel, if we could switch on a game and get the lineups and start watching the game, I think most soccer fans would. Mm-hmm. Like I just think there are different – I mean there's just not a lot of statistics. We care about the game. Right. The game, the game. Um, and – uh, so for me, it's, it's massive that that part of it is handled correctly. Like I love, I think the walkout and the national anthems is so special in, in soccer, mm-hmm. especially at a world cup and all that stuff. But like even MLS, the way they do it and like I, it, to me, it's a big deal to show it. Like, I don't want to miss that stuff if I can help it each week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I think that that's part of being a soccer fan. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, we do such a serious job of storylines, of what's the important things. And uh, I work a lot with John Strong and J.P. Della Camera. I've been lucky enough to work with uh, Ola White. And um, I mean, all the play-by-play guys I've worked with over the years are so well-prepared that I know their storylines and I make sure the director knows their storylines too. So we know what we're looking for all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Whether we've gone to practice the day before, we've done phone calls with players. um, We know the storylines. We know set pieces, what we're looking for. Um, You know, I even make sure that we have the statistics on penalty kicks for the players that are coming out so that we have a a good feel of who's going to take one. And if so, like, what are their chances? Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, you know, I mean, it's preparation, obviously. It's I, Again, I'm sure it's like that for everybody and everything they do. Um, but uh, I, it's the games. Like, for me, it's always the game, right? It's always – anything else is gravy. As long as the game comes out well and, and the broadcast of that comes out well, and as long as my announcers are smart and look smart and we've made sure that we have done them right so that everything comes off correctly – then I think we've had a good broadcast. I mean, you're never going to please everyone and you're never going to have a perfect broadcast. Mm -hmm. It's just not possible. Like someone's going to make a mistake. Most of the time it'll be me, (laughs) but someone's always going to make a mistake on a broadcast. It's just, you're asking for a lot. I mean, you've worked in live TV, Mm -hmm. you know what it's like. Like it's just so many moving parts and so many things can happen. And, uh, but 
but yeah, I mean, I, I think the preparation of it to make sure we know what we're looking for going in is so important. And then the part of it that, that makes sure that we've covered the game correctly. Uh, we've hit on all our major stories um, and our announcers look smart. And, you know, I mean, I think we do a really good job in general um, in this sport of, we know what the key, like, it's great when you, it's easy to pick David Veer as the guy to watch that right. day, right? And he scores two goals, obviously. It's great when we pick uh, Will Bruin going to the, in the Houston playoff game. We picked Will Bruin was the guy we wanted to see do something. And it, it made sense. I mean, he used to play for Houston and he scores the winner, right? Like, right. and we look smart. And th- those are the moments you sit to yourself and go, all right, we did that right today. That's great. Nice. So, so can you explain to the listeners, like, how often are you in the truck on site at a game when you're producing a broadcast? How often are you at a remote location at this point? How how does that work? So um, I think it, it depends on the telecast, to be honest. I mean, last year was probably 50-50. Um, and, it, you know, I mean, uh, our facility in Charlotte's become – like the people have learned the sport really well and you know it's it's upon the people coming in too to teach the sport correctly Mm -hmm. um so um but uh you know i mean in it's when you're in a tv truck i mean let's say the game's at 7 p.m we're there probably at 9 a.m maybe 10 the latest and and i am Something I like to do, my directors, thank God, are okay with it, is even if I've been to a venue 20 times, I still like to walk the venue with the venue manager and just kind of look at all our camera shots and tell them what we're doing that day so that there are no surprises for them either. Um, and we could be going back to the same place we were the week before, but I would still do it. Like It's mm-hmm. just one of those preparatory things that, that I think makes, um, you know, once in a while we'll be like, oh, wait. You've moved that this week? Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. Like, those kind of things pop up when we do that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you sit down and you're there all day. Like, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just part of it. Um, it's different, obviously, when you're on site compared to when you are um, on a remote location. But, honestly, if we're doing our job, nobody watching it should know any different. One thing I was struck, I joined Fox, started working for Fox in 2012. I'm not sure when I started doing some live games, maybe 2014, um, and uh, was doing sideline at times for some MLS broadcasts, some U.S. broadcasts in which you were involved. And this was a total education for me because I hadn't ever done that before. I was a writer and I was fascinated by a few things. Uh, one, how much preparation went into spending like the day before the game getting exclusive access to people from both teams, uh, the managers, the players, um, and just trying to get as much good stuff as possible that could then be used in the broadcast. And I remember also just being stunned by the amount of organization and machinery and, and people power that go into even one MLS broadcast on the road. Um, could you provide some details, I guess, on on how many people are at on site at a game? How many cameras? How you know how much infrastructure? Yeah, I mean, look I, again. I think all of that varies for each broadcast as well as each broadcaster. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look, I always think that the day before game uh, is much harder than the day of game, uh, mm-hmm. preparatory wise, at least like work wise. Just it's a longer day in general. Um, we like to say we hurry up and wait often. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, 
you know, it's it's anywhere from 30 to 50 people working on a telecast, depending on the size of a te- telecast, right? Mm-hmm. And there's so much work that goes in before we even get there. The, the people who, um, I mean, you say I, I go under the radar and obviously happily, but like the people who set up just the travel for all of us and the, right. the te- television trucks and making sure we have the right equipment from going from point A to point B, uh, all that stuff is, um, is so many people involved just for that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, look, uh, we have good broadcasts because we're prepared and you're prepared for everything. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the one time I don't tweet often, mm-hmm. but the one time I do is during playoffs when we're rehearsing penalty kicks because I've got people from the team coming out in 17 degree weather, standing out there, walking up, practicing, hitting a penalty kick, <laughs> practicing, missing a penalty kick. And more importantly, even for that, reacting to those things so that all our camera guys, uh, can get a feel for it, uh, so that we don't get caught when we actually do go to penalty kicks, <laughs> right? And 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 honestly, I've done uh, if, before the Dallas Seattle penalty kicks from three years ago. I'd never done penalty kicks in all the years I'd worked in soccer. <laughs> um, and so, like, there's this secret part of me that sadly wants every playoff series to go to penalty kicks because of it. Um, and uh, and we rehearse it and we practice it and. I remember a couple of years before that when Santa, when Houston was playing Kansas City in a playoff game and we rehearsed it and it was cold and I felt mm-hmm. terrible keeping those guys out there. But when Houston tied it, or sorry, Kansas City tied it, one of the camera guys said to our director, I hope it goes to penalty kicks. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, we were prepared, right? And, and so uh, I'm sure you, you, know, you take your notes and you go – these things going in before an interview so you understand this but like uh, it's all about to, to us too it's all about the preparation i mean my directors unfortunately have to get phone calls from me during the week saying hey what if we do this this week right like uh, and i've had the pleasure of i worked on mia ham's 100th goal yeah. i worked on mia ham breaking the record i worked on abby wambach breaking the record and the abby wambach's a funny story because we talked about what we're going to do on the breaker Right. Yeah. Um, what, what's the plan? She had to score four that day. It was against South Korea. And with the day before when we met, even Ola White said to me, she's going to break it tomorrow. These players want to end this today because there's not another game for like four months. I think they want to finish this. And I was like, OK. And so we had this huge plan. This is the plan. This is the plan. We never discussed what to do when she tied it, which should have been the exact same plan of what we would do when she broke it. And we, I, I'm, it's obviously you can see it still bothers me. It's still in my claw <laughs> that I, that I didn't do that correctly. Uh, I don't think anyone, you know, in general would notice, but like right. that, those are the things that stick with you. It's not these great moments. It's these, it's these moments of, Oh man, how could I have not rehearsed that? <laughs> um, and, and look, I mean, sometimes you get lucky when I, I did the, uh, I did the New York Red Bull, New England series. Um, the last year NBC had the rights. Mm-hmm. And it was Henri's last game in, in uh, up in New England. Great series. And yeah, it was a great series. And the atmosphere was incredible for both legs. Yeah. Um, and when New England scores what ends up being the clincher, um, there's this great moment. We've got some some camera guys just we're so lucky, we're so blessed. Some of these camera guys only want to do soccer. So they just got some great looks. And uh I saw, and like as I was looking at my replay angles, I saw the guy who was running what we call the extra slow motion camera. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, he picked up something that Henri was saying right after the goal. He was smart enough to get the goal, 
get to the guy who was reacting, who scored the goal, and then get to a, a key player from the other team. And I remember having the discussion with the guy, the tape machine guy. It's not a tape anymore, obviously, but the EVS guy. And I said, hey, go back. And he's like, no, I didn't get anything. I'm like, just do me a favor and rewind it. And you see on me in extra slow motion saying, it's okay. We just need one. And there's this great shot. So I'm getting, all these replays are coming in, all these amazing looks. And you see the reacts of this guy going crazy who's probably clinched it. And then you get to this look of this you know, old wily veteran that, that has been through everything saying, everyone relax. We just need one. Yeah. And it's like those moments, that, the good moments that stick with you too. But honestly, for, I, for the people I work with, and I'm lucky because they are like me, they want it to be perfect all the time even though they know it won't be. It's those moments that you, you're like, oh, man, how did we not get that right? right? And so, you know, I mean, if you've done it right, nobody really notices, but it bothers you. So I will say in my – it was sort of my short career as a sideline reporter, <laughs> um, and, and I wasn't terrible. I wasn't the no. best sideline reporter ever, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> but I will say this. I really learned a ton because – you more than anybody I have ever worked with in TV would want to go back after the fact and rewatch the tape and give everybody feedback about what they did right and what they need to do better. And I always appreciated that you included yourself in that as well. And so I always felt like I was working on getting better, even if it was stuff that might've been hard for me to hear. Yeah. I mean, look, Grant, I, I think that, um, what I've learned as uh, uh, as I've done this more and more, and look, every game there's something I look at and go, I wish I'd done it this way, or I could have done it better this way, or I should have gotten to that faster, or should have frozen that, is that um, we can always be better. And the best way to do it is to have a conversation about what we just saw so that when we're about to do another game, we're, we're, more, we're more prepared. And it always, and you, you saw this, I'm sure, it elicits conversation. And what I, what I love is that everyone kind of gets involved, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, you had you, the play-by-play guy would say something to you, oh, uh, next time, Grant, try it this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I just, that's the part, I want us always thinking, right? And, and to the credit of announcers that have been doing it for long before me, to announcers that are doing it, like you said, for the first time, they've all been really good about it. And this is probably the part where I say to you, um, well, I, sorry, I, not that this is definitely the part where I say to you, but probably the, the, there are people that have walked away from conversations and been like, I don't like doing this. <laughs> and, and, and I get it. And John and I, John Strong and I used to have these conversations after those conversations about it because it was, it was, I think it was a big change for John mm-hmm. and to John's credit. I mean, I think John's incredible now. Um, there are certain words I will not say, but I think he's fabulous. Um, Right. I, I think that the watching him learn and watching him work and now his preparation. And what I found is once you start doing those calls, they want to keep doing those calls. Mm-hmm. Like I, I get a, hey, what day are we doing it so I can block it out? Like, uh, so, I mean, I've noticed that a lot of those those announcers want to get better and and it's a really good way to get better and and like you said i mean i include myself in it um i actually think that probably i'm the one that takes the biggest beating on those calls but i always start the call off as don't take this personally like this is in no way trying to be personal at all i i just this is how we're going to get better as a group and individually too um and and yeah i mean i think it's a really good way to 
uh, notice the mistakes, and then talk about it. Because I've actually had people say, maybe you should handle it this way. Mm-hmm. And now it's in my brain to think next time, this is what I'm going to do. Right, right. Uh, I want to talk about the World Cup this summer. I want to talk about Russia. Uh, you were in Russia last summer for Confederations Cup. What did you learn about working over there that will be helpful to you this summer? Well, first thing I learned is I need to make sure I bring an eye mask because <laughs> the sun barely goes down. <laughs> if I could tell you how many conversations we had about whether the, the sun was going up or coming down, um, it happened almost everywhere we go because a lot of the flights, and I don't know if it will be like this for the World Cup, but a lot of the flights – that aren't in Moscow or St. Pete are staging flights. So we're leaving like three in the morning and getting to St. Peter, Moscow at like seven in the morning. Um, I just say St. Petersburg. So like the sun, I'm not kidding. The sun was coming up or going down as we were getting on planes. Oh man. And, and it's so bright when you land at seven in the morning, you're like, what is going on? Wow. So, uh, I mean, I know you travel a lot. Like normally it takes me one, maybe two days to get used to, the time change, it took mm-hmm. me like four, which is a long, long time. It just, you know. Um, but honestly, like, I mean, I, I was in South Africa. I mean, Germany's Germany runs like when we did a World Cup in the United States. Like, I've been to lots of different venues to do sporting events. It's not much different. I think that, mm-hmm. look, when English is not, not only not a first or second language, but not really – um, even in the writing, right? Like the script is different. It's Cyrillic. I mean, there was not a lot of English anywhere and there's not a lot of English speakers other than like in your hotel room, yeah. uh, in your hotels, I should say. Um, you know, uh, we were lucky. We had a great security person. Uh, one of our announcers was Russian, Maria Kamandaya, who would be back with us this year, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, she Like that stuff made our lives easy. And then I was lucky. Just our crew was great. Like John loves to be prepared but like i'm a big go out for a meal before the night before to talk about the game and let's mm-hmm. make sure we close that game out by having a meal and i mean Stu was such a pleasure to work with and watching him from game one to game eight and how much better he got um you know i i just i think that i think all uh, those tournaments really help a year before a year out and i know that you know the next world cup who knows what will happen but like for, for us, like it's, it's massive to be able to go to visit a couple stadiums, but also the travel wasn't easy. And we learned some stuff about the travel mm-hmm. and, and, you know, just getting from point A to point B. I mean, just going out, like I'm, uh, I like to walk, I like to run, I like to roam, right? And mm-hmm. They don't love letting you do that. So, <laughs> you know, those kind of things. Um, and I get that. Look, like, you know, I mean, our safety is their biggest concern. Right. So, um, but, but I, I think that any tournament the year before, of, like a World Cup, it's always going to help you just get prepared for things that you didn't know were coming. Like we found out that travel isn't great. Like it's not that it's not great. It's just it's not easy. Yeah. There aren't a lot of directs. You're going to be going through Moscow or St. Petersburg. Um, you know, uh, it's a lot of late flights. Mm-hmm. Um, you're eating dinner at 11 o'clock and then going to the airport. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of those kind of things going on. Um, but – you know, you hear this a lot in, in television. I don't know if you hear this writing a lot when it comes to tournaments. It's a marathon, not a sprint, right? right? And like, you you really do need to be smart about pacing yourself and going out and doing all those things. Like, it's you're there to work, and I th- you know this about me. Like, I am, I love what I do, but I'm there to work. I'm not there for vacation. I'm not there to 
uh, like I'll go out and have a meal. Um, but after that, it's, for me, it's business, business, business. Yeah. My first World Cup was 98 in France and I was there for Sports Illustrated and I was 23, I think. And, you know, I I remember going out one night and there was a bar full of Scottish folks fans in kilts and scotland was in that world cup and they all became friendly with me and they all wanted to buy me a drink and i remember my editor called at one point from new york where it was still at the end of the work day and i was just (laughs) like i just had 10 beers that these scottish guys bought me and i think he was questioning why he had sent me to cover the world cup (laughs) and i got sick at that world cup and i was like being a 23 year old and I learned at that point that in the future, I could not afford to do that at World Cups and and be able to do high-level work the entire time. You just couldn't do it. So in a way, yeah. it was a good experience to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, look, the 98 World Cup is way different than where we are now, right? Like yeah. with the U.S. team in it or not in it, like it's still way different just what it means to this country in the United States now of, of fans watching teams play and just – I mean, I'm sure this happens to you a lot, but the, like, just the conversations you have about other teams now, it's like, mm-hmm. wait, did I just have a conversation with someone about Iceland? <laughs> like, I couldn't even have a conversation with someone about the United States 20 years ago. Now, like, I mean, so it's, it's yeah, from that point of view, like, it's, uh, that, that that's great. But, yeah, I mean, look, what I learned was that we're going um, – I didn't learn this part. I knew this, but we're going there to work and it's going to be, there are challenges everywhere. Even in the women's world cup in Canada, there's always challenges, mm-hmm. um, whether it's travel, whether it's, uh, time zones or whatnot. Right. right. Um, but you know, I mean, Fox does a really good job and ESPN did before of just making sure that, uh, the most important thing is us and taking care of us. And, and I'm not, you know, we don't have to worry about any of those things so that we can worry about the things we need to worry about. So what is different about producing a broadcast at a World Cup compared yeah. to an MLS broadcast? So uh, for someone like me who likes to be in control, it's way different, right? I mean, what, a lot of my job is getting us around from point A to point B, from match to match, making sure we get to the match day minus one meetings and uh, you know press conferences and all those kind of things, going to the venue and making sure we're set up. But I'm not in a TV truck for um, – for the actual World Cup match, mm-hmm. I'm in the booth with them, or actually uh, more more than likely outside. Um, I, I, honestly, if I was going to have one final dream to check off, would be to produce a World Cup match. Right, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Like actually in the TV truck producing it. Um, but uh, so you know, I mean, you're coordinating with Fox back in Los Angeles as well as back in Moscow, depending on who we're talking to at the time, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you're working with the announcers. I mean, I have headphones on. I'm listening to them call, talk, and get, I'll get in their ears and remind them of things we want to talk about or remind them of, uh, hey, this happened at last World Cup. Or um, So uh, a lot of it's the same, but I'm not calling replays. Um, I'm not uh, – I'm not – I kind of feel like I'm the father of a, an actual TV show when I'm in the TV truck, like everything's kind of running with me. I have to okay things and mm-hmm. when I make a mistake, it's on me and all that kind of stuff. And I think at a, at a, at a world cup, men's women's youth, you're not in the TV truck. You're with your announcers, mm-hmm. um, working on the telecast. Okay. Gotcha. Um, now, there's lots of things that have not been announced yet about Fox's World Cup coverage, and we're certainly not going to announce them right here. Uh, 
<laughs> well, not, we don't really want to provoke the wrath of our bosses. No, no, um, not today. But there's a lot of cool stuff that's going to be happening with Fox's broadcast of World Cup 2018. And there are a couple of things that I think they've already talked about that that are going to be cool in terms of uh, what do we know about like the sets? Like, I know there's going to be a main set like we had in Vancouver for the Women's World Cup. Very cool set in Red Square in Moscow. Yeah, it's going to be Red Square. It's in Moscow. I mean, all the talent's going to be there. It's going to be amazing. It's going to look amazing. I mean, look, you saw what Vancouver looked like. Everyone did. It looked amazing. I, I, I think that this will be just as breathtaking. I mean, Russia is a beautiful backdrop for this stuff, too. And uh, that that stuff will, you know, I mean, it's going to be amazing. Like, I think the, the set will be great. I mean, yeah, there's so many games on Fox broadcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I think, like, the last four World Cups combined um, will we'll match what, what this is. So, I mean, wow. just... That's amazing. Um, you know, the last three or four years, we, we talk about the summer of soccer. I mean, all the soccer that's on in the United States all the time. Mm-hmm. But the summer between, uh, you know, Women's World Cup in 15 and then straight into a Gold Cup. Um, and then even after that, we had the Confederations Cup qualify between Mexico and the United States at the end mm-hmm. of that year. You know, then we had the Copa America. Last year, we had the Confederations Cup and another Gold Cup. And we got World Cup. And, and there's a ton of MLS games on, F, on Fox Broadcast after World Cup games, during the World Cup, which is going to be awesome. Uh, I mean, just, you know, you saw some of the stuff last year with uh, some of the features with National Geographic, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, part of the World Cup is where you're at. And so, you know, I think Fox will do a great job of bringing that to you. And then let's just not forget that Lionel Messi in his last World Cup, probably Ronaldo in his last World Cup, Neymar already in his second. Yeah. I mean, we've got we've got three of well, we've got two of the top probably ten players of all time, and Neymar is quickly going up that ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got just I mean, look at all the great games. There's a reason that Italy, Ghana, U.S., Netherlands don't qualify because there's all these really good teams out there now. I mean, you know, I, I, let's you know, you got Iceland, Argentina. Like, who would have thought? three years ago that would be a good game and I'm, i can't wait to do, to watch a game like that right i mean you've got so many good games i mean mexico germany that first weekend yeah like oh, i mean like you sit and and as much as it it uh it hurts that the united states isn't in there at a personal and a professional level right. i mean you 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 work with these guys uh, and i think fans in this country if you can take out the anger for a second of, of not qualifying and just realize like just from a personal level too for all the people that travel with these people and work with these guys like it it's terrible for that reason too but like there's so many great soccer games this summer i mean people don't realize that egypt russia is a massive game mm-hmm. and egypt's really good um and you know there's like 25 to 30 mls guys that are going to be at this world cup playing for everywhere from sweden to to um to Panama, Costa Rica, maybe Switzerland, Peru. I, I just yeah, Peru. Um, I mean, there's just so there's so many great storylines, and that's not even including the big three players that everyone talks about with Messi and Ronaldo and and Neymar. And you know, I mean, I just uh, that part, I, I you know, from that point of view, I can't wait. I just so many great games. The Spain Portugal game on the second day of the yeah. tournament. I mean, you, are you kidding me? Yeah, like, it's it's there's a lot of good games that opening week. And I, by the way, are are you telling you think this is Messi and Ronaldo's last World Cup? Well, I mean, Messi. Yeah, I am. Wow, I am. Yeah, that's that's my 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 view. I mean, look, I I hope they play forever. I, we are lucky enough. I mean, think about the era before those guys 
uh, someone threw out a question of like, who's the best player before those guys? And it, it's a tough call. There's no conversation over the last five to eight to ten years of who the best player is, right? Yeah. It's, it's just there's two names. That's it. That's all you discuss. And I mean, God, it must have been like when Pelé and and Cruyff were playing, and you mm. know what I mean. Like, I mean, Maradona didn't really have anyone his equal at, at, for most of his and i know i'm sure i'm gonna get beaten up for that but <laughs> but i mean honestly like just talent level wise like i mean just we've got two guys that every weekend play in the same league and every weekend they do um, amazing things and yeah. then you've got you know i mean you got look at belgium i know they're always the dark horse and they shouldn't be but like De Bruyne is playing out of his mind and yeah. like there's so many good players that you think to yourself my god every game is going to have you know, so, something amazing to it. I mean, even even like Egypt, Saudi Arabia, which people would be like, eh, it's yeah. going to be amazing. Like the, those games are going to be amazing. So and I, as much as this pains me, pa- I want to watch Panama. I want to see Roman Torres in a World <laughs> Cup game, right? And I want to see the passion of him singing the national anthem. We talked about this earlier about the pageantry of MLS. Mm-hmm. Oh, the opens to World Cups, the walkouts yeah. and the, the, the players singing their anthem, David Luis. And mm-hmm. like, I'll never forget 98. If you could ever get a chance to YouTube Brazil, Chile, uh, I think second round, uh, I think Brazil won four one, but as Ivan Zamorano was singing the national anthem, the Brazilian players are looking at him <laughs> like, Oh my God. I mean, he's belting it out. It's this important moment in his life. And, and I just, you know, I mean, there is uh, these players and their national anthems. It's just, it's so awesome to watch. And then, and then you get the games. Like, I mean, yeah. like it's, that's not, so yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about all that stuff and, and the, we will have so much coverage about it and uh, around it. And uh, yeah, I mean, all that stuff's just going to be so fan, so fantastic and so much fun. Well, you got me fired up just listening to you here. <laughs> I am glad that we were able to, to an extent, recreate the conversations a little bit that we've had on the road together over the years for our listeners. Um, I have always enjoyed those conversations. Looking forward to more in 2018. Shaw Brown, thanks for joining me. I appreciate the time and thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Shaw Brown as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available for free now on SI.com. Recent guests include Sebastian Salazar, Kevin Egan, Keith Pierce, and Vaishali Bardwaj. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.